Well, praise the Lord. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. Not just a good song, but the words of the Lord himself. Hey, give your neighbor a high five. Tell him you're looking good this morning. I'm not so sure I'm looking good, though. I need some reassurance. Hang on just a minute. I'll tell you why. And we have a Saturday night service, by the way, which you ought to really check out. And I'm, if I wasn't the preacher, I think I'd come Saturdays, and you kind of have your whole day on Sunday free. Well, anyway, there was a person that came last night. Their name is, we won't say their name, a new person. And they asked my wife if that was her dad that was preaching. So there is one extra chair on Saturday night that you could have. So I asked him not to come back, of course. Just kidding about a part of that, but... Turn your Bibles to the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1. No, I'm sorry. First, we're going to look at Psalms 119. Psalms 119 is where we'll begin tonight, uh, this morning. I'm beginning a series, or actually continuing a series, called that really affected me last night, I'll tell you. But I'm doing this series anyway called Before and After. Before and After. How many know where you are today is not where God wants you to end up? Aren't you glad of that? That God not only saves us, gives us an old life and a a, a new life in exchange for our old, but He makes changes in our lives. The great, great hope I give you this morning is wherever you are today is not where you're going to end up if you just continue with God. That God wants to continually do things in us to help us become the person that He's created us to be. So we looked at Simon Peter. You remember Simon Peter? He failed miserably. He denied the Lord. But lo and behold, God didn't just throw him away. God gave him another chance, and he was the great preacher on Pentecost. So we learned about Peter is God cares more about my future than he does my past. We learned from a lady named Rahab the prostitute. The Bible of the Bible is pretty forthright. Rahab was a prostitute in the Old Testament, but she ended up in the New Testament in the Hall of Faith. And the Bible tells us basically that she was a woman who walked away from her old life, walked away from her before to pursue the new that God had for her. Last week we talked about Paul the Apostle. I mean, no, Paul was a great man, arguably one of the greatest men of the, in the New Testament. Paul had a before and after, but in his before he depended on God. But the Bible said he had a crisis you weren't here last week and and, and maybe you're in a crisis or you've been in one, it's kind of destabilized your life, I'd go back and listen to that. You can check it out online, but it talks about the power of a crisis to draw us closer to God, and that's a good thing. I mean, the crisis may be an evil thing, but when a crisis makes you depend on God in a greater measure, that's a good thing. Paul depended on God before, but he depended on God more after the crisis. Well, this morning, I'm going to talk about a holy smackdown. All right. If you can figure out what that's about before I preach, Pastor Nick will buy you lunch. So where is it? does anybody have a clue? I mean, this could be a free lunch. Did anybody tell you? Were you here last service? So you were told by somebody, and now you want... Your husband told you. You're disqualified. Anybody else? All right. We're going to talk about Jonah. And here's the phrase this morning. God asked Jonah to do something, and he said what? Yeah. God asked him to do something. He said no, but then God disciplined him, and he said yes. We're going to talk about the subject of spiritual discipline. How God has the ability in a loving fashion to get our attention and turn our no into a yes. To turn our disobedience into obedience. 
And it may not be an enjoyable or pleasurable thing in discipline, but how many know the end result is always a really good thing? Psalm 119, we're going to use this as a text. And another great man of God, he was named David, a man after God's own heart. And he says this, the English Standard Version says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. We're talking about disobedience. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. In other words, now I do what God says. Now I stay on the narrow path. And how many know that's a good thing? The New Living Translation says it this way, I used to wander off. Until you discipline me. But now, say it with me, I closely follow your word. I used to wander off, but now you discipline, now I closely follow your word. Now look at the next verse, it's pretty profound. The next verse says this, but you are good and do good. So what he's saying in the midst of this experience of of spiritual discipline, he said, listen, I found out that God is a good God, that he's not mean and hateful and vindictive, but God is good. And what he does in my life to bring me to a higher level is also good. And how many know that's where we're headed this morning as we talk about this holy smackdown that Jonah experienced. Now, before we get into this, uh, the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, I want to show you a little video, quick video clip. Uh, we've asked kind of a man on the street with some of the members of our church about spiritual discipline, and here's what they had to say. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, the Bible says that uh, God disciplines those that He loves. So uh, what does that mean to you, and how have you seen God dis- God's discipline work in your life? Uh, well, actually, I guess whenever I really think about it, there was a time in my life where I really wasn't serving God, and uh, there was a, a you know a few different situations, things that came up in my life that were really hard on me. But you know, I, I learned through those situations. There's things that you know it really shaped who I am today. And uh, today, you know, if God didn't discipline me then, I would be a completely different person. So I thank God for His discipline. And have you ever been disciplined in your life? Uh, I've taken trouble all the time. <laughs> Okay, um, and what did uh, what did discipline do in your life? Well, it made me go on a better path than what I was going. So in the end, it, it worked out. It's, um, that verse, Hebrews chapter twelve, verse six, it says he chastises or disciplines those that he loves. How has that verse affected you in your personal life? Um, I feel like it's, his discipline is more of an act of love because he. He really cares about the person that we turn out to be. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, that um, God disciplines those He loves. Um, have you ever been disciplined by God? Absolutely. It's, it's one of those things that you know that God has His best in store for you. But as you're going through life, sometimes we hear that little voice inside, and we know the direction we should be going because our paths are set by God. Hey, Miss Pat, what does the word discipline mean to you? Discipline to me means you're fixing to get a whooping. <laughs> All right. And uh, what does it mean to be disciplined by God? That means you're going to get a bigger whooping. <laughs> and then um, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, that God disciplines those that He loves. So what does that verse mean to you personally? He really is our Heavenly Father. And because He loves me, He sees where I might be going off track and... Um, he usually speaks and warns and, you know, calls out to me, but when I'm being stubborn, um, he's gracious enough to um, allow circumstances to give me small consequences before I get the large consequence. Well, and there you have it. So tell your neighbor you sure don't want a big whooping from God. 
Always better to do what he says. Look in, look in Jonah's story. Jonah chapter 1. And here's the theme of the morning. God disciplines me when I disobey him. And that's... I got three of you. I'm going to try for the rest of you now. God disciplines us when we disobey. And that's a good thing. Yeah, nobody likes it. But it's a good thing. Jonah chapter 1 verse 4. Let me say up front. I believe it literally happened. I believe the Bible literally records the words when the Bible says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I believe that God was pre-existent and there was nothing in this world. We can't even comprehend the first verse of the Bible because everything I know and understand about the world is bound by some time-space continuum. How many know God's on the other side of that? So in this great big world, God is speaking to Jonah. He said, go to the great city of Nineveh and announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Now, at the end of the message, we'll read the very last verse of Jonah. You could even peek ahead. And basically, God was saying that there are about 120,000 people that live in this place. They're terrible people. They're wicked as they can be. But I care about them. I love them. I want them to turn to me. And God's vehicle to bring change was, guess what, in the person of Jonah. I mean, no, God could have sent an angel, but he chose to send a person, just like he chooses to send you. Well, Jonah got up, verse 3, and he went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. <laughs> have you ever done something like that? Go, God says, go one way. I says, nope, I'm not interested. I'm going the other way. Well, notice what happens. He went down to the port of Joppa. This is on the coast of Israel in the Mediterranean Sea. And he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. Tarshish was modern-day Spain, the other side of the Mediterranean, which is basically a picture, is I'm going to get as far away from God as I can. I'm going to basically just try to go to the other side of the world to escape. And how many know you'll never do it? Now look at verse 4. Jonah made a foolish decision, and then God made a decision. So God hurled a powerful wind over the sea causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Now, this is not a big ocean liner. This is, a, this is a wooden ship. And how many know when it's rocking and rolling, things are in trouble? Well, here's the picture. Jonah's disobedience got the attention of God. Now, and he was concerned about the Ninevites, so he put a little pressure to get him going the right direction. Now, Nineveh is in modern-day Iraq. If you know geography, it's near the city of Mosul. Uh, it was a place of wickedness. In other verses of the Bible, the Bible says it was a place of bloodshed, of idolatry, of lies. Uh, it was a place of violence. Jonah was a prophet from Israel. Jonah was, and we don't exactly know why, but, the, but these short, uh, short book of Jonah, four chapters, gives us a little hint into his reluctance to go. You remember when, when, when they were talking about mercy and God, there's this little picture where God caused a plant to grow up and these different things happen and Joseph, uh, Jonah is pouting. Now, he's pouting after he preached to these people and he only said eight words. He only said eight words. He said, in 40 days, you will be overthrown. In other words, basically, God's going to judge you, but the amazing thing is all these people turned back to God. All of them repented and Jonah got upset about it. Now, we can speculate a little bit, and it's probably true, but the Assyrians, these people from Nineveh, they were Israel's long-standing enemies. So, mind, so imagine if God wanted you to go to talk to somebody that you really didn't like anymore, you were really angry about, that you just about hated, that had done something very bad to you, and God says, I want to be nice to them, and I want you to be the one that tells them. Now, here's something else. These, uh, uh, the, the Assyrians would be the people that would one day come and judge Israel. 
You remember when they were judged and brought into the captivity, it was the Assyrians, the people around Nineveh, the ones that were the ones that were going to do it. And guess what? Other prophets were already predicting that. So here's Jonah. Basically, he's going to try to turn these wicked people around when one day they're going to be the ones that's going to afflict his people. Whatever reason, though, he basically said, God, I don't like what you're doing, and I'm not going to do it. Have you ever been there? Have you ever just kind of folded your arms and just said, you know what, I just, I just don't want to do that. Let me, let me, let's kind of start bottom line why God would do this. You know, when we are a Christians, God is expecting us not only to believe in Him, He expects us to do what He says. Implicit in Christianity is our obedience. Now, Jesus said it this way in John's Gospel. Notice what it says. Jesus said in John 14, If you love me, you will... Yeah. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. Now, we almost romanticize worship sometimes. We're, it's this experience where we're loving God and, 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 and we're expressing our, you know, our, our love for God and God is good and, and, and it's a feeling. Well, how many know love is more than a feeling in the Bible? 1 Corinthians 13 says love is patient, love is kind. Love is long-suffering. Love doesn't keep track of wrongs that's done for it. So love is a behavior. Love is a, is a feeling. It's not just a feeling. It's an action. Praise God when you've got the feeling and the behavior in line. But there may be a time when you don't have the feeling. How many know we love anyway? And love translates into our obedience. I mean, imagine we've got these five single young men here, all handsome guys. And, 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 of course, in the back of their mind or the front of their mind, they're looking for Miss Wright. And one day they're going to get this starry look on their eyes. And they found her. One day Miss Marshall is coming in the world. And he'll come up to me and he'll say, Here's her picture. I'm in love. Why do you love her, Marshall? Oh, man, if you just saw her, don't she just talks and she just looks there and I just, I just love her. But something happens between that day, come on, and a few years down the road, come on, and something happens that doesn't kind of work just right and what's wrong? I don't love her anymore. Really? What he's saying is, is I don't feel the way that I used to feel. But how many know if you act in loving ways, the feelings will come back? But if you just go by feelings, come on. That's why we have, you know, relationship after relationship. How many know you may think you made a wrong decision, but sometimes we make the wrong decision, the right decision, by doing the right thing? I know that went right over your head there, but, but I'm telling you, you don't just fall in and out of love. You fall in a ditch. Come on, what you do is you, is you finding God's will, find the person to share your life with. And then you make that decision right. Then you walk in love with them. Well, Jonah didn't have the feelings anymore, bottom line. Jonah said, so I'm not going to do what you want me to do. And can I tell you, friend, he's missing the most basic sense of what it means to be a follower of God. Not just a believer, but doing what he says. Well, Jonah made a decision to run away, so God made a decision to catch him. Let's keep reading on this. Now, um, Hebrews chapter 12, I want to, let me throw this out here because lest you think this is just an Old Testament phenomenon, let's look at the New Testament a moment. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, our Heavenly Father disciplines us because He loves us. Now, this is going to go to the heart of the matter in our understanding of God. Hebrews 12, 6, it says, the Lord disciplines who? Yeah, those He loves and He punishes each one He accepts as His child. Verse 7, who's ever heard of a child who's never disciplined by his father? Now, 
in the most basic sense, God is our heavenly father. Now, for many of us that are here today, you had a dad that epitomized a loving dad. When trouble came in the world, you could jump in his lap. He would hold you. You know, when you needed something, he'd provide for you. He was there for you. He was security in your life. But for a lot of us that are here today, you didn't have a dad like that. You know, you had a biological father who was not a part of your life. Maybe you don't even know your dad. Or maybe even worse than that, maybe your dad molested you. Or maybe your dad hurt you. Or whatever the case may be. And it affects our understanding of our heavenly father. But can I tell you, your heavenly father is the dad you always dreamed about. Come on. Your heavenly father is a dad that cares for you, that loves you, that will accept you when you mess up. I mean, I mean, he is there and he's real. Even in the broken, evil world that we live in, he is still a loving God to us. Well, now he's talking about his discipline of us. I, I can remember uh, my children. Uh, I would, you know, on occasion uh, when they deserved it, I would give my kids a little uh, reminder on the rear end, if you can understand what I'm talking about. Get more spanking sometimes, and I tell them, I would say, "Listen, uh, this is gonna, this hurts Daddy more than it hurts you." And they would say, "Well, why don't you stop then?" Uh, <laughs> let me kind of throw this as a, as a little side as far as discipline in a child. You know, the Bible does teach, particularly in the Book of Proverbs, about the place of discipline. It does refer to punishment, which we might call a spanking. But let me say this to you: If you're a parent, you don't ever spank your child in anger. Come on, and, and, and you don't run around a room with a belt, you know, just trying to, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna hurt that child. Spanking is never intended to maim or wound or bruise. Come on, it's never intended to hurt them, but it's intended to get their attention, to get them back on track. Are, are, are you with me today? Uh, it, but the object is not just physical discipline. The object is to get their attention, whatever it takes. And in Jonah's case, it starts out with a storm, and uh, it kind of goes from there. But let's keep reading in Hebrews, verse 10. Our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is, say it with me. Now, it may not feel like it, and everybody said, yeah. But it's always good, so we might share in His holiness. And that's kind of abstract, but what that means, to, the word holy means to be set apart. So discipline has the ability to help you, you get off the wrong path and onto the right path. It has the ability to keep you close to God. I mean, no, it's, it's a bummer to just every time you go to prayer to feel shame and guilt. I mean, who likes to live feeling like God's mad at you and God's distant from you and God's far away? And what God's saying is, I'll use discipline to get us close again so you can experience your uh, intimacy with me. Uh, verse 11, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards... There's a peaceful harvest of right living or righteousness for those who are trained in this way. And would you agree with me that all of us have to be trained? I mean, you're trained on the job. Guess what an inspector does to, if you're a builder, and the inspector says, hey, look, you know, you didn't, you know, you didn't place the, the toilet far enough away from the wall, so now you've got to tear it out. Man, I hate you. I'm losing money. Well, guess what? He's just trying to protect the people, come on, that are going to use the thing. So the boundary, the law, was there for a good purpose, and, he, and, and discipline trains us to head in the right direction. Now, this passage teaches us is that God corrects His kids when they disobey. It's very clear about it, but He does it because He loves us and He wants a close relationship with us. And even though discipline is hard or painful for a period of time, afterwards it's going to produce a good thing in our life. Now, just to illustrate this, we're going to go real quickly in a little video to one of America's favorite families and see how discipline worked in their life. Take just a second. 
Excuse me, Granny. I'm going to stores. Anything you need? I'll check my supplies. Whilst you string these beans. That's women's work. What'd you say? I said stringing beans is women's work. It's anybody's work. I tell them to do it. Well, I ain't gonna do it. Jethro, that's the first time you've ever talked back to Granny. And it's the last. Now you go out and cut me a hickory switch and meet me in the woodshed. You ain't got no hickory tree. No woodshed neither. That's the truth, ain't it? Yeah. <laughs> hey, now, what'd you want to go and do that for? Stand up for your meals for the next few days. I want to string beans. I'll do it. Tell your neighbor, if Granny says string beans, you need to string beans. Now, you get the picture there. How many know Granny? God, I don't think God looks like Granny, but how many know God has the right, come on, to tell us to string beans, to shell peas, or do whatever he wants us to do? Because guess what? We're his kids. We're his servants. And how many know discipline gets you off the wrong path onto the right path? Okay. All right. Well, let's move along here. Back to Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 12. Now, here you get Jonah's on the ship. The storm is raging. And where is Jonah? He's asleep in the bottom. Now, this is pretty key because it hadn't got his attention yet. And how many know discipline can get your attention? You don't believe that. Just come on. If you're in the principal's office and your principal is giving you a little smack or two and he says, does that hurt? Don't say, no, it didn't hurt. I'm just going to tell you in advance because he will remind you that it can hurt. Notice what he says. Jonah said, throw me into the sea. Now, you might think this is somewhat noble of Jonah. Perhaps it is. Uh, he didn't want perhaps the, the innocent people on the ship to die. But here's something else I want you to see, perhaps more important is that Jonah could have said, if we just turn the ship around and go back and I do what God said to do, the storm will stop too. But for whatever reason, this thing, this disobedience, this rebellion was so deep in the heart of Jonah, he just basically said, I'd rather die than do what God told me to do. Three times in this book he talks about that, basically. He just said this thing was so deep in him. Well, instead, verse 13, the sailors rode even harder to get the ship to the land. Now, here's the message in this passage, is that you cannot fight against God and win. These, these sailors rowing as hard as they can, but they can't make it to land. The stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Verse 15, the soldiers, soldier, uh, sailors picked Jonah up, threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. Now, before we keep going, let me just remind you of this thing. When God has put his finger on you, come on, because he loves you, you ask this to a parent, how far will you go if your kids are going crazy? How, how many times will you go and stand before the judge with them? Because you do understand discipline. Come on, authority and the one who has the right to discipline is God's design and God's order. You know it starts in the home. But guess what? If you won't learn submission to authority and obey the rules in the home, guess who you're going to be standing for? You're going to, the policeman's going to make a stop at your door one day and you'll be in front of the judge because ultimately you're going to stand before God one day on judgment day. So the purpose of authority is to teach us to do what's right and to acknowledge when we do wrong. I remember one time my son went to see Judge Hoot Hathaway. How many have been in front of Judge Hoot Hathaway? Let me see your hand in here this morning. Why is that? 
Why, why were you there? <laughs> I've just. <laughs> well, let me tell you what we were there for. My son got a speeding ticket, and he only got one in his life. And I knew the judge informally. I'd seen him at restaurants and things, and I thought Dad's going to go in there and smooth the way. And he was polite for me for probably about two minutes. And after the two minutes, he basically told me, sit down, shut up. He was there to talk to my son, and he basically said, Young man, why were you going so fast? And after a little while, you know, whatever he made the decision to be, his, his punishment was going to be. And, and thank God, well, you know what? He didn't get another speeding ticket again because he confronted authority. Well, what if he just said, hey, judge, and he stuck up one of his fingers at him. You know what I'm talking about? Waved at him with one of his middle fingers. Uh, what do you think the judge would have done then? Yeah, he'd have spent some little time in jail and he'd have been eating, you know, probably stale peanut butter and crackers for a little while to say, I'm going to get your attention. Well, that's exactly what's happened. And if he'd have tried to run out of the room, guess what would have happened? The judge simply would have said, have the deputy out there arrest that young man. Here's my point. God has the way to get your attention and you cannot, you cannot run away from him when he's after you. And that's a good thing. And this is what we've got to see. If that judge had to see, which my son was very submissive, but if he would have run out and would have been arrested, can I tell you, the deputy would have been a gift from God, come on, because he's trying to stop him before something gets worse. That's the dynamic that we've got going on here. God has not got Jonah's attention. But here's something else I want you to see. When you're on the boat with Jonah, your boat is going to be rocking too. Let me say it again. You've got all these innocent sailors, and all they did was show up to work one day, come on, and put Jonah's bag on the ship. They had no idea that God was about to discipline him, almost kill everybody. They all thought they were going to die, and they hadn't done anything wrong. And here's what I want to tell you. God may be after someone in your life. It could be your spouse. It could be your kids. It could be your boss. And if the discipline of God is on that, you're going to feel the consequences for their behavior. So what do you do? You don't kill them, okay? But what you want to do is any way you can encourage them to get reconnected with God, how many know that's a good thing? Well, the best they knew how to do was throw Jonah in the water. Now, let's see how God ratchets it up just a little bit. Verse 17. And let me say this. God knows how to get our attention. You may not think he does, but he does. If the storm is not enough, God knows how to turn up the pressure just a little bit. So, the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. Now, uh, it's, uh, it's believed this fish was perhaps some kind of mammal. could have been a sperm whale, a whale shark. I have no problem with it at all. I have watched river monsters on TV. Come on. And I have seen that this is possible. So, this great fish swallows Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, think about that. It didn't have to be necessarily be 23, 24-hour days. It's like when Jesus was crucified. He was there, what, you know, three days. But it was Friday evening, all day Saturday, and early Sunday. But it was long, pretty long period of time to be laying in a fish, come on, with, you know, with, with other dead fish and fish guts and whatever it smells like to be in there and seaweed wrapped around your head. You would think that that's an attention getter. But it took a little while. And notice what it said in verse 1. Then Jonah prayed. If Jonah simply would have got right with God in the middle of the storm, he could have avoided all this. If he'd have, I would have thought if the fish did like that and you became sushi, you would have thought that was the time you'd get right with God. But it took three days. I'm telling you, God knows how to get our attention. 
And it's not because he's mean and hateful. It's because he loves us. Now, stay with me now. Then he prayed to the Lord from inside the fish. And he said, I cried out to the Lord in my what? Great trouble. And then he answered me. So here's what I want you to know. God is in control of the storms in your life. And God is in control of the fish. God sent the storm and God sent the fish. So just because you're in the middle of it does not mean it's going to kill you. But the object is for you to surrender to God as quickly as possible. Life just works better that way. So you may say, well, how does discipline happen in my life? Let me suggest, I think that the biggest way that God gets our attention is financially. If you touch my finances, you've affected everything of my life. If money is no object, listen, you can just do whatever you want to. But go ahead and shut the money flow down. All your friends are getting ready to go out and they say, Hey, let's go over to, you know, wherever. Let's go to Red Lobster to eat. Or let's go to Outback. Or let's go. And you don't have but a dollar in your billfold. Come on. And nobody's offered to buy lunch. So, well, I'm busy today. Can I tell you? Money gets your attention and you know that. It could be a job disruption. You may be in sales and all of a sudden the river dries up. There's no more sales coming in. You may own a business. And all of a sudden, you lose every contract and you got all these employees. I mean, no, God can get your attention. And again, when I give these examples, I'm not saying that every financial problem is discipline, but it could be. It's at least enough to say, God, are you trying to speak to me? Uh, it could be a lawsuit. I mean, no, that gets your attention. It could be arrest or uh, you could be spending time in jail. Now, that's probably the biggest, obvious, most obvious attention getter. I mean, if I could go back to the picture of my son, now, again, he didn't do it, but if he would have gotten arrested by the deputy and he's sitting in jail at some point, come on, probably a little tear is going to well up in your eyes when you're 17 and you're going to say, I really wish my dad would come get me. It could happen that way. Jail time could be a part of it. It could be a physical problem. It could be God taking away peaceful sleep. You know the scripture that says God gives his beloved sleep? Well, it could just be that the tossing and turning, come on, needs to, it, there's something greater than Ambien it, it could solve. It could be that God is involved in an attention getter. All these different things. It could be just a whale or whatever it takes to get your attention. And that's what a good parent knows how to do. You know, I can remember Rebecca in particular, if she would do, she, she rarely, she's been a great kid. But there was an occasion or two when she would have to get disciplined. And I said, okay, honey, daddy's going to have to discipline you. Do you want a spanking or, or are we going to, no TV and no computer? Please spank me. I don't take my TV away. Don't take my computer away. Well, again, you're not trying to hurt your child. You're just looking for what works. And she just told you. So there you have it, baby. No TV for whatever, a day, two, three days, a week. It's just over. No computer. Here's the cord. Now, they can get defiant. Come on. And when they do that, you say, another day. Keep going. You just got another one. You want to go for three? No, sir. We'll try that strategy now. No, Daddy. No, thank you, Daddy, for loving me so much and disciplining me. <laughs> Could it just be just for an hour while I'm taking a nap? Okay. I want to snuggle with you, Daddy, tonight and watch the television. Okay. Come on. That's what we're looking for for parents for the great attention getter. And that's what God is looking for, too. 
Now, let's keep, let's keep going here. Let me kind of wrap this up in, 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 in Jonah chapter 4, last verse now. Now, here, if you've turned me out thus far, don't, don't think about lunch just yet. We've got a couple more minutes, okay? Spiritual discipline isn't just about me. It's about what God is doing through me. Now, here's what I mean by that. Last verse of the book of Jonah. This is about the heart of God. He said, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness... Not to mention all the animals. Aren't you glad God cares about animals? 120,000 people. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Now, here's what I want you to see. Jonah was a prophet of God, which means he was a servant of God. How many of we're a servant of God? We're not first serving ourselves. God's not Santa Claus, come on, and every day is not Christmas. A part of the dynamic of the Christian life is not just our enjoyment, but it's our serving God. It's doing what God calls us to do. So when God looks on planet earth, rarely does he send an angel to solve the problems. Usually he sends a person. And in this particular case, he wanted Jonah to be the one to go into this city and say eight words that would affect 120,000 people. But Jonah said no. Now let's back up. Chapter 2, verse 7. Jonah is still in the belly of the whale. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. Isn't it sad that God has to bring us to a place where we feel like we're at the end and we're totally helpless? But can I tell you, being helpless is not a bad thing. When we come to the end of ourself, we are able to see God more clearly. I remember the Lord and my earnest prayer went out to you. Now, I fully believe that if his earnest prayer would have gone up at first when the storm came, if he had said, hey, turn this ship around, let's go back then things would have been all right. But now he's had to be in this whale's belly. And verse 9, probably in my opinion, the, the most pivotal verse of this whole book that tells us answers a lot of questions. I'm going to offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. And here's the phrase. I will fulfill all my vows. Which tells us that Jonah had made promises to God, like you and I have. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. We do it here most every Sunday. I surrender my life to you. Let your kingdom come. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, especially in me. These are vows. These are promises. And this is kind of like a contract between us and God. And Jonah had broken his vow to be used of God to do what God would said he would do. But now his attention has been turned. Look at verse 10. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah on the beach. You know where Jonah is now? He's right back where he started. So God was able to control the fish. Not only provide the fish... Not only put some oxygen in that fish for Jonah, but now God was able to send that fish in his foreknowledge. He sent the fish all the way back to Israel, and the fish just spits him out on the bank. You believe that happened, preacher? I do. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit him on the beach, and then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, get up to go to the great city of Nineveh, and this time... <laughs> yeah, you better believe it. Because, listen, if a river monster can swallow you for three days and you walk away from that, imagine what's walking around on that land over there. I mean, you know, I mean, God's a great attention getter. Now, let me close with these two, two thoughts. First one is this. In the middle of this fish's belly, at the end of the process, he says, I'm going to do what I promised to do. So, at the heart of who we are in our relationship with God, we're God's servants. And there's something called duty. And I don't do everything I do in the Christian life because I'm having fun. How I many know much of what I do is from obedience? 
I remember when God called me in the ministry. I was in California when I heard his call. I was getting out of the Navy. My family lived in Mississippi. They wanted me to come back home and, you know, go in ministry there. And in my heart, I wanted to live there. I never liked California. But I knew God was calling me to go there. So how many know the Christian life is not always fun? Sometimes it's some duty involved in it. But guess what? The greater the sacrifice, the greater reward that's coming. Well, there's just some things that we do because God's called us to do it. And that's got to be kind of the, at, at heart of us here. And I want to share that with you. But here's my last little thought this morning. Not only did he say, I'll pay that which I vowed, but he also said, he talked about singing songs of praise. Now, this is while he's still in the fish's belly. You know, it's easy to praise God when you're on the bank and the storm is over. Have you been on an airplane, a big airplane, you know, like a 747, 57, and the wings are doing like that? I have. And I'm telling you, I'll never forget this. It was a Northwest Airlines flight many, many moons ago when we'd early in our marriage. I'm telling you, you could see those wings moving what seemed to be three, four, five feet. Long, and I knew that wing was not intended to flap like a bird. When you got on the ground, you really kissed the ground after a flight like that. You understand what I'm talking about? So when he got spit out of the whale's belly, it's pretty easy to see why he praised God. But I'm telling you, friend, he's singing songs of praise while he's still in the whale's belly. Now, what does that tell us? Number one is the very thing that God used to discipline him, the fish, was also what God used to save him. Because when he was thrown in the water, he could have drowned. And rather than seeing the fish as something bad, he saw it as a gift from God, come on, that spared his life. And here's the second thing, is he had a change of heart. Rather than, rather than being against what God wanted, now Jonah had embraced what God wanted for his life. Because how many know it's always better, even if you've got to go to Nineveh, the place you want to go, once you get on the road and you know you're in the will of God, come on, there's a lightness in your heart, there's a joy inside, because you know once again you're doing the will of God, the very thing you were created to do. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Hey, why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to close with a song this morning and a prayer. And uh, we're just going to kind of surrender ourselves afresh to God and say, Lord, come and have your way in us. It's pretty easy. Just slip your hands to heaven with me and say, I worship you. Yes, we do, Lord. It's an act of surrender. Lord, tell him now. Lord, you are holy. You are holy. You are holy. You are worthy of my name. Thank God. You are holy, Lord God. You are holy. Yes, you are. You are worthy, worthy of my praise. Well, Lord, we do want to come to you in a fresh way and say, Lord, we want you to be first. Just tell him, say, Lord, I don't want to fight you. I want to do what you say. If you tell me to go to Nineveh, I want to say, yes, sir. Lord, if you're, whatever you want, Lord, that's what I want.
I don't want to just be a Christian that plays at church around the edges. I want to be somebody that's walking with God all my days. I want to be somebody that, 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 that does what you say. Lord, I want to give you my life afresh today, which simply means I'm not in charge. I'm not the boss. I give you that right today, and I'm your servant. And together we're walking in partnership because you're my heavenly Father, and you've got something good that awaits me. Why don't you bow your heads just a moment, and I just wonder what the Holy Spirit's saying to you this morning. I want to pray for you today, and I, I want to encourage you to act on the Word of God. I wonder if you're here today, and I wonder if you have been convicted by God that what you're going through in your life right now is, is spiritual discipline. You've been fighting against it. You've been praying against it. But the storm was not the problem. The fish was not the problem. The problem was in Jonah's heart. Maybe the Holy Spirit has shown you that what you're going through right now is because of some wrong choices you've made. And today in your heart, you simply want to say, Lord, I want to turn back to you. I want to repent. I want to, I want to get back on track with you. I, I'm ready to go to Nineveh if you'll give me another chance. But if that's you and God's shown you that what you're going through now is his hand. And you simply want to say, Lord, I want to do what you want. Just slip your hand up right now. Nobody looking around. You don't have to come up here. You don't have to say anything. But I want to encourage you to respond to God right now. Yeah, all over the building. Others today. Others today. See, it's not me demanding you here. It's just simply just encouraging you to start saying yes to God. I want to ask you this question. Maybe you're, maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here today and, uh, and you're not being disciplined, but there's disobedience in your life. Maybe as I've been sharing the word today that the Spirit of God has been speaking to you and and you're convicted of something that could well bring discipline in your life. And you want to cut it off at the pass. You don't want to have to go through what Jonah did. But more importantly, you want to love God more than you love whatever you're holding on to. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, God's put his finger on some disobedience in my life. And I'm going to make a decision today that I'm going to turn towards him and start going the right way instead of the wrong way. Would you just lift your hand? Yeah, others today, come on. This is, this is you and God right now. Just let him. See, but you responded to him, not me. You don't have to tell a soul this morning, but I think it's important that you agree with God when his Holy Spirit puts his hand on your life. Others today, yeah. Well, Lord, we all are standing before you today. None of us are perfect. All of us have a little Jonah in us. But every one of us today sees that the discipline of God is not punishment as much as it is an act of love to get us on the right track when we've been going on the wrong one. So, Holy Spirit, I want to pray for all of us today that our love for you would grow stronger and stronger. And as Jesus told us, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. So I want to pray that you just change our hearts and give us a desire to desire the things that God wants. I want to pray for those that are under spiritual discipline now. Show them, Lord, how to get out of it. Show them what you're asking them to do. Show them where they need to surrender, Lord, so the discipline, Lord, ceases pretty quick. But we just bless you today. And we thank you for giving us another chance to go to Nineveh in Jesus' name. Anybody say it? Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. It's a good day today. Praise the Lord. It's a good day. I want to remind you, Wednesday night, I forgot to mention this, but Wednesday night we're having a, a night of worship. We're having a night of personal ministry, gifts of the Spirit. I want to encourage you to come and be a part of that. This Wednesday starts right here, 6.30 is prayer, 7 o'clock is the worship. But I want to close right now with one more opportunity for prayer. We're going to sing one song and one chorus, and then you're free to go. 
But our prayer team is going to come back. And to give you an opportunity, you need to personally connect with God. Maybe there was something in the message and you just feel like you need to talk to someone today. Listen, someone will be here. Um, maybe you need prayer. You missed it. Maybe you're sick in your body. You want someone to pray for you. We'll do that. But perhaps most importantly, maybe you're here today. And when I was talking about a loving Heavenly Father, and that's the way God is, maybe you'd never really heard that, that you don't know God that way. Y'all hang on just a second. Maybe you don't know God as a loving Heavenly Father. Maybe He's kind of like the man upstairs, and you've kind of thought like I used to, that going to church is kind of what makes you good and godly and all that. But God wants a personal relationship with you. Not only does He want to offer forgiveness when you come to Him, but He wants to give you a brand new life. See, the Bible says, as many as received Him, talking about Christ, to those He gave the right, the privilege to become sons and daughters of God, to those that believed on His name. And all of us have times in our life where it's like our paths cross with God, and God is saying, I want you to surrender your life to me. I want you to make me your Lord and your Savior. I want to give you a brand new start. I want to turn your old life into a new one. But it starts, friend, with the decision to ask Christ for forgiveness and commit your life to follow Him. I wonder if that's you this morning. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I need to get my life right with God. I want, I, I want to make a commitment to Christ. And I want to get a fresh start before I leave today. If that's you, we'd be honored to pray for you. Would you lift your hand this morning and say, pray for me. I want to get right with God this morning. God bless you there in the back, pal. Others today, I pray for me. God bless you. I see your hand. I see your hand. And others today, pray for me. I want to get right with God. I want to, God bless you too, dear. I want to make, I want to get, make a step to Christ this morning. I want you to pray for me. Our prayer team is coming right now. You that lifted your hand, come on up. Let us pray for you. Let somebody pray for you. I've got a book I want to give you that will help you live the Christian life. Come on up. Give them another big hand as they're coming. God bless you, pal. Come on up. Let us pray for you today. I want to get my life right with God. I want to put Christ first in my life. I want to get serious about this. Come on, begin to sing, Pastor. If you need prayer for anything, you come up and we'll pray for you today. These three guys right here making steps to Christ. Y'all be sure and talk to them and pray with them. Others need prayer. You come and we'll pray. I love you. Thanks for coming.